Hey team, we're back one more time again. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, hitting that podcast app and hitting Think Space. I appreciate you guys as always. Today was Rick Ocean. Rick Ocean's a managing partner and one of the co-founders at Body Energy Club. If you don't know Body Energy Club, you're probably not from Vancouver. Uh, it's one of those marquee Vancouver brands that has just kind of established itself in the space as you know, part of the identity, part of the framework of the city itself. So um, we talked a ton about explosive growth in Body Energy Club. We really got into the nitty gritty of what Body Energy Club is, how it's grown, the journey along the way, what some of the strategic decisions, why they hire the way they hire or what the culture is within it all and what are the business moves they make, why do they make those moves and how they actually approach the industry as a whole, the health and wellness industry as a whole. Rick himself, um, you know, never really fit the status quo. He's someone who's always done it his way, a jack of all trades, someone that's extremely knowledgeable, extremely curious about a ton of things. I know you guys are going to love it. Check it out. The Think Space podcast is a home for the passionately curious. We aim to dig deep and learn as much as possible by connecting the right questions with the right people. So we bring in some of the best minds in the Pacific Northwest, regardless of their industry, to extract the most value from their stories and experiences. Yes, you're going to get something from this episode, which is good. Or you could get something from every episode we release by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening on. You can find the full show notes at thinkspacepodcast.com or have the visual experience of this podcast over on YouTube. If you want to get looped into some exclusive content or private giveaways, join our mailing list. The link's in the description. Do you, uh, what type of music do you listen to? This is random, I know. Uh, well, everything. Okay. Uh, this could be a really long story if you want. Okay, well, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm actually curious. I mean, not like a podcast question. I'm just curious. Um... Literally everything. And the reason for that is that uh, my parents are Jamaican. Yeah. So growing up, I listened to Prince Busta and a bunch of like, like the original sort of like reggae um, from Jamaica. My mom, who's also Jamaican, she's white Jamaican, uh, poisoned me with Neil Diamond and Billy Joel and Lionel Richie. <laughs> Poison. So, so I have that bubble, but I have four sisters and two brothers Okay, who are a lot older than me. I have a sister that's 18 years older than me. My closest sibling is nine years older than me. So those four actually, four of them went to high school together in the early to late eighties. Okay. So one brother was into rat and scorpions and all the hair metal stuff, Judas Priest, it's my other brother was into Pink Floyd and Yes. Um, my sister was into Sex Pistols, from Sex Pistols, the Culture Club, actually. Whoa. Um, and then my other sister was into New Wave. Whoa. Uh, so Yourself. that's what I had as a kid. And yeah. then right, obviously, when I turned, I'm 41. Yep. So right when I was coming into that sort of meaty part of the curve, you're 14 to 17, when you sort of like find your own uh, music was when grunge hit. Nice. So I was right at that uh, appetite for destruction. Never mind uh, Pearl Jam Ten yeah. is kind of yeah. so. Honestly, like I still play to this day. I play Crazy. drums, guitar, and uh, uh, sing. I do none of them very well, but uh, we're in a dad band. Nice, uh, hell we, yeah, dad bands all day. Yeah, I we, love it. We specialize in fortieth-year-old uh, birthday parties. So if you, <laughs> if you know anyone who wants some mediocre musicians to. <laughs> <laughs> to dress up in their favorite rock characters were the were the guys. That's too funny. Our well, band name's Quiver. Look us up. Quiver. There you go. Plug. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, I was gonna open up and and be like, uh, I was because I was trying to find something. The angle I was trying to take was I ah, like Body Energy Club was so ahead of its time, so ahead of the curve and all this type of stuff. And I was trying to think of like what else culturally was ahead of the curve. And then I was like, Body Energy Club. 
was like making soul beats like Kanye West was in 95. And that's the only thing I could think of. And I'm like, ah, Rick's, Rick wouldn't get it. And I was like, oh, maybe he would. Let me ask him one time about music. And then he just went off into about your whole family. I loved it. It was great. Yeah. So yeah. you guys were like making soul beats in 95. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, 2002. <laughs> yeah. But. So you were, you were making juices in 2002 and smoothies in 2002 and yeah. supplements in 2002 where it really only got popularized a decade later. Probably around there. I mean, I think that um, places started spring. So our smoothie bar would have opened actually, because we opened the store in 2002, our smoothie bar would have opened in, and we did call it a juice bar at the time, mm. would have opened in 2004. Right. Um, but realistically, the next people on the scene would have probably been around that 2010, 2011. That's what I was thinking. Juice Truck comes to mind, who yeah. are uh, really good friends of, of Zach, mine. Zach and, was on the podcast. and yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. Zach's awesome. Um, uh, so so from that kind of year on is when everybody sort of started springing up here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. And, and truthfully, at the time, it wasn't even part of our, our business model. Like when we first opened, we primarily did supplements. Mm. Um, we... Uh, we opened it up basically to um, sample the products that we were selling. Mm. So if we broke even on the smoothies, great. But if people liked what was in the product, then, hey, we happen to have that protein right over here on the shelf. Better, oh, yeah. great. Like yeah. it was just a good cross sell. It was a loss leader like oil changes at a, at a car dealership, right? Then yeah. it kind of became its own beast. And now... Depending on the location, it's fifty-fifty. Wow, the uh, the cafe component to uh, to products, and and that varies based on location: seventy, thirty, sixty, forty mm-hmm. on either side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do have a standalone one now as well too inside Equinox Fitness. They've been a great partner yeah. for us as yeah. well too. So yeah. that business model does stand on its own, but we are more of a hybrid overall mm-hmm. um, as far as our our overarching model goes. Yeah, you guys are. So that's that's when I'm I'm at all the time is that that one it's right by my work so it's it's perfect. Oh, okay. You guys are been fueling lunches for me for the last two years. It's been great. Oh, nice. Um, acai bowls all day. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it kind of feeds off of each other a little bit. I think. Do you um do you regret that model early on? Like, were there points where you're like ah, because you can you can figure out a loss leader early. Like you can you can say this model like ah, oh, it's okay. We'll 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 lose here and we'll win over here. Uh, but you know, Body Energy Club then is not what Body Energy Club is now. You know, was it a point where like oh, we're just losing too much on this? No. Like you had to open extra space and everything. Uh, yeah, but it was cheap at the time, all things considered. Space was um, cheap. Yeah, because it was only. I mean, we were 500 square feet at the time on okay. Davy Street. It was another uh, 450 is what we took. So it wasn't that um, big of a. It was a risk, but it wasn't that big of a risk. Worst case scenario, the smoothie dip bar didn't work out, mm-hmm. and we just cave it in and we sell more products, right? Nice. Um, where we were at the time was there weren't a ton, if any, hybrid stores like ours. Yeah. There was your traditional uh, old school, like a nutrition house kind of a health food store. Right. It's actually kind of hard I, for, I think, for a lot of people to sort of rewind and think about that industry in that sense. But that's that's what it was at the time. So you had your hardcore, like I go to the gym and you know your heavy sports supplements and then your separate brands were... Um, your natural health category. Um, 
and then cafes were completely separate from that. Right, not even close. Yeah, or virtually non-existent. So to, to have it uh, a one-stop shop, basically, for anyone who was in the family um, and and really kind of geared around uh, average Joe and Jane mm-hmm. more than that um, traditional hardcore supplement user mm-hmm. was kind of the secret recipe that we, the vision that we saw and what we tried out. And, and it w- has always been... Um, yeah, there was never a point in time where we were kind of like, I don't know if this was a, a good idea. Yeah, well, I mean, great strategic planning. I guess that's all I can say. Yeah, luck luck is another thing. Timing is another thing as mm-hmm. well, too. Um, I don't think there was, yeah, there was no real genius to the to the idea. I think there's a lot of factors that come into the overall overall success of it. This episode is brought to you by Self-Hired. Self-Hired, if you don't know, is a content studio that specializes in video production as well as photography and yes, podcast production. So if you are an individual or you are a head of a company or a marketing manager or a content manager at a company that's thinking about one of the most powerful mediums in 2020 and want to start a podcast, uh, give the fellas over at self-hired um, a call that you can reach them at selfhired.com um, or info at selfhired.com if you want to blast them an email thank you guys so much and here's to the episode for sure that in mind if you look at 2019 2020 what if we think about timing and if we think about you know hopefully having a little bit of luck and having the strategic planning Where's the white space now? Because you guys just clearly attacked and dominated a white space um, in the past decade, last two decades. Um, what do you see personally? Like, I mean, just aside from Body Energy Club, where's the white space in the health and fitness industry? Uh, well, I mean, health and fitness or retail in general. You could look at look look at both of those things and kind of go. It's under uh, under attack, or there's a monumental shift going on in terms of moving away from brick and mortar. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I mean, our bread and butter has always been brick and mortar. And for the most part, the cafe concepts in our stores insulate us from, uh, from any sort of outside threats in that sense. Um, also, our own brand is, is a large part of that. So we've really been proactive about what products do we want to see and use or what products do we like? How can we clean them up? Um, mm. uh, natural sweeteners, uh, no artificial flavors. We've, we've always kind of championed that with regards to partner brands that we had. So now under our own brand, that's really been a driving force for us as well too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with regards to, um, to our model, we're based around convenience. So we want to be in locations where it makes sense for people to actually come to a, a brick and mortar location rather than, oh, well, I can just order this online and get it get it shipped to my house. Right. Smoothies are tricky to do that with anyway, mm-hmm. but um, it's all too easy at most of our locations just to either pop in on the way to work at lunch or or on their way home, right? Guilty. Yeah, and then the customer service component. I mean, I, I think in, in any business um, now, it's really coming down to that's the number one differentiator uh, and kind of the last way that you can differentiate yourself from your competitors mm-hmm. and which is great it's great for for a business because that's the fun part is making people happy it's great for the consumer um uh and so that's kind of the kind of where we're focused on right customer or guest experience uh, customer experience uh, how do you 
differentiate yourself. I mean, geez, there's like, we had, uh, for instance, uh, Scott Marcasio is the CEO of Myo Detox on, and he's like, well, we have, uh, I asked him a similar question. He's like, oh, well, we have gems, which are guest experience managers, which is just the front desk person. Right. Um, but they just, they, they glorify the heck out of that position and are just like, you are literally the most important part. Um, you need to see a person as soon as they come in to the moment they leave and just make sure they're good. That's your responsibility. And they have this, like they just champion the heck out of it. And that's because he said the exact same thing around like, listen, that's the only way you can make a difference at this point. Like it's one of the last ways to differentiate in a situation. I mean, but they're, they're physiotherapy, they're RMT. So in a situation where it's, that's retail, how do you really make that difference in guest experience? Uh, well, I, I mean, a number of different ways. So, uh, product selection would be on the, um, the, the, um, hard good side, um, knowledgeable staff, fun culture, fun environment. Um, and then just making sure that the customer's happy when they leave. Like we have, uh, elements in place to make sure that nobody leaves unhappy, which is like, it's tricky to do when you're making 600 smoothies a day, right? Yeah. Um, but we try our best. And, and at the end of the day, if anything kind of goes awry, we make it up to people. It's just a focus for us overall. Right. right. So it's, it's, it's something that we prioritize above and beyond uh, everything else and try to make it as personal, personal as possible. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I mean... Look, like, I know that we have a number of, of different locations and uh, we have a mom and pop roots like we're small business that now has um you know we'll have uh 12 locations here two in the states but myself and and my business partners work you know 24 hours a day seven days a week um it's not something that's kind of like outsourced at this point we're mm -hmm. still very much a, a hands-on mom and pop operation, even though we've scaled to such a size. So that's maybe one of the things I find the most interesting about you and how you built the, the entire business is you said you were very hands-on in the early days and, and doing literally everything as you had to. Yeah. And you're still very hands-on and doing everything jack of all, tra all trades. And I'm someone who I like, uh, I like that approach. Cause I'm just really curious, you know, I'm just like, I want to know how that works. I want to know how, okay, well, where, which products do you put where, and why is this smoothie first on the list versus that smoothie? Or, uh, what about the back end? You know, what's the, uh, how much, uh, do your stores cannibalize each other when you open another one? Like whether it's ops or finance or like, I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And that's cool. And in our world, it's kind of like, or in, in the world now as a young professional coming up, it's kind of like, well, no, pick your niche and go pick your niche and go. That's how you win. Uh, what would you say to that? Uh, now with you clearly having success being a Jack of all trades. Uh, that was a very, I don't know. Was it a question? Broad, I don't know. Yeah. Broad sweeping <laughs> question. So, I mean, well, with regards to our locations, I've lived other than like I moved out of, uh, out of downtown Vancouver uh, a year and a half ago, but other than that, I lived downtown 17 years. And the interesting thing about Vancouver in particular is that there are so many little four block bubbles that people live in. Um, so you can be in Yaletown, Gastown, Coal Harbor, <clears throat> all of those. We thought we had saturated downtown when we had three locations. And what we realized that that wasn't even remotely the case because there are all those little pockets that people kind of live and work and mm. their lives sort of revolve around. So the cannibalization, although there has been some, has been minimal with mm. regards to um, the locations that we have uh, thus far. Um, and moreover, I think it offers convenience to all of our customers so that if you do live in Yaletown but work in Gastown, 
there's a location for you wherever you are, mm-hmm. right? You guys have uh, West Georgia, Gastown, Robson, Davie? Uh, yep. Cambian 12th, I guess it's yeah. over the bridge, but okay. All right. Waterfront Station we just opened as well, well too. That's right. That's right. Um, now, how about you personally? You're, you said yourself you're working seven days a week. Uh, 24 hours a day. That comes with self-employment though. I, right. I mean, that's just kind of, you You always need to be available from silly stuff. Like if the alarm goes off at two in the morning on a Saturday, it's your phone number that's on file that gets yeah. called to go, hey, just so you know, the back motion sensor went. That's the reality for a ton of people who are in, um, who are either entrepreneurs who are, who are self-employed. So uh, what's interesting actually, I think, and we sort of chatted about uh, yourself and, and, your peer group is that, uh, desire and, and, um, almost, uh, reality or, or the vision for opportunity seems to be quite popular within your demographic, uh, far less so than mine. When I was growing up, pretty much everybody went to university, got a degree in sociology from there, went to teacher's college and then became a teacher or whatever kind of categorized, uh, profession that was, that was there, which, for better or for worse for myself, never really, that shoe didn't fit. Yeah. Um, uh, now looking at sort of the, the people that work for me or, or guys like yourself, I see people viewing the world in a, in a much different, um, through a much different lens. And I don't know how much of that, I haven't really thought about it a ton, but I don't know how much of that is out of necessity or out of the fact where there's been a rejection to that traditional model. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's a combination of both. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. You probably, I'm asking you questions now, so <laughs> you might be able to answer that for me, but it's, it's far yeah. more common now than it used to be for sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll digress and say, there you go again, doing cool things before it was cool essentially. And that's the unique that you, we chatted about this earlier as well, the unique position that you occupy just in terms of age, right? Bridging two gaps and putting, you know, being able to communicate prior knowledge from the generation that are now 50, 60, 70, 80, um, and now bring that down to the millennials um, and bridging that gap there. Very interesting as well, as it pertains to creating a lifestyle of entrepreneurship and doing a million things at once. I, yes. I also think that like we live in a microcosm, you know, so, so we may have similar paradigms as it is approaches as we, we have similar paradigms as it pertains to business. Um, but I think outside of our little microcosm of entrepreneurship and business leadership, it's, I do see a lot of people still taking the traditional route, man. There's a lot of humans out there and there's a lot of people that are like, that's cool. And I know that's popular. That's really not for me. Um, because like it's, it's scary, man. Like, well, there's safety in that. There's tradi- safety in traditional that traditional route, without a note. And maybe it's just the people, maybe I have a skewed perspective on it as well too, just because of the people who I surround myself with tend to be people that have taken a chance and started their own business and, yeah. and kind of got out on their own. And those are the people that you're bumping into and, and brushing shoulders with. I think Vancouver in and of itself actually is, is, um, a bit of a unique city in that sense, particularly in our industry. Because if you look at the number of brands that have been born here in the health food industry, and not even just health food actually, but even lifestyle clothing, um, those worlds are connected. And yeah. Vancouver seems to be sort of a, a global capital for that, whether it's uh, Lululemon, uh, Mountain Equipment Co-op, um, Vega. Mm-hmm. Like all of those things are lifestyle oriented brands that have all come from here. So it's it's a bit of a, a unique city in that so sense cool. for, for better or for worse. Like 
I don't think there's any worse than that. I think it's for better. I think, yeah. Take back the worst part. Sorry, (laughs) just figure of speech. Yeah, totally. I think... I think a lot of people don't even understand the companies have been birthed out of here. This, so here's my take spo- on that. We're spoiled. Yeah. In, I th- in that sense, without we, a doubt. We're not like some small town in Southwest Michigan. You know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're a Pacific Northwest hub. And like we don't crown that. That's, that's one of my, and people that listen to this, I'm rambling now, but people that listen to this know this is one of my qualms is like, like EA is from here. Mountain yeah. Equipment Co-op, Lululemon. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a very forward-thinking city. I remember, I'm, so I moved here for the first time in 1999. Right. Um, I worked here for a year, and then I, I moved home because I wanted to finish school, but at the time it wasn't really feasible to live in Vancouver as right. a 19-year-old and, and go to school. So I moved home, um, and I distinctly remember when I went home, I was like, I am, here's my plan. I'm going to go home, I'm going to finish uh, college, and then I'm moving back to Vancouver. And people were like, why? And I was like, I don't know. Like, it's a stunning place to live, first of all. But other than that, the place just reeked of opportunity. Totally does. I remember as a 19-year-old kid going home and telling people that. Like, it just felt like anything was possible here for whatever reason. And I had, at the time, I'd never really lived anywhere else. Well, I I mean, outside my hometown, London, Ontario. And I'd lived in Toronto for for a little bit. But Mm. there was just an energy here that that I sort of tapped into where I, I just knew immediately that I that I wanted to come back so much so that I actually never finished college. So Hey, shout out to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, you definitely fit that self-hired definition. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it still feels like that, like crazy. And I also, uh, there's like a taboo around that that can develop. Like for instance, like if you're in the entertainment industry and you're like, I'm going to go to LA cause there's opportunity. And then you go to LA and every waiter or waitress is an actor and you're like, Oh man, like it's kind of saturated over here. I mean, Vancouver still feels super ripe. Like Vancouver still feels super ripe, you know, like I think there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of entrepreneurship and new businesses being built all the time and that culture is really cool. Um, But there's also like, there's just this level of balance to it. It doesn't feel like it's been spoiled. It just, it doesn't feel like, oh, it's a, it's a surfing city. It's a, it's a mountain city. It's, it's like, no, it's all these things combined together. It's so diverse in that sense. And as well in the businesses that pop out, like whether it's video games, whether it's lifestyle, whether it's like, there's some great financial institutions coming out of here as well. Like there's a lot of cool shit being built here in all industries it seems to be one of those spots i think it has a lot to do with the geographical actual makeup of it um, that seems to to create um innovation my question to you would be how come like i don't feel as if vancouver has a collective identity um i feel like seattle has a collective identity collective identity i feel like portland has a collective identity i don't feel like vancouver has a collective identity do you feel that same way and if so why Hmm. Well, I haven't thought about it like specifically. However, I would say this, there's very few people, I shouldn't say very few people because that's not true, but there's an element of Vancouver where no one's actually from Vancouver. Hmm. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people come here from other places. So there's a ton of people from Toronto, Montreal, all over the place. So you're getting everyone else. I'm going to go to the Leaf game tonight. And I'm a hockey fan first and foremost, but I am also a Leaf fan. And I almost guarantee you the chant in Rogers Arena tonight is going to be go Leafs go. (laughs) So Vancouver uh, fights that uh, or has to fight that. Vancouver is also very insecure about that as well, too. Um, Yeah. So uh, it's a young city in in a sense, um, but it's transient. So I think that's why quite possibly there isn't that sort of... uh, 
collective identity that that perhaps those other cities kind of uh, have. And and yeah, you're right in the sense that people from uh, like Vancouver as a city, I shouldn't say people, but um, I could see them sort of being like either the the middle child, kind of like trying to elbow their yeah. their way into the table, going, "Hey, what about me?" Yeah, like, and it's also a thing like, well. I didn't grow up here either, but if like, if I was, if someone I knew lived in Maple Ridge, they lived in Vancouver. If someone lived in Delta, they lived in Vancouver. If someone lived in Richmond, they lived in Vancouver, right? And I feel like if you grew up even in East Van and someone says, hey, where are you from? You say, I'm from East Van. You don't say I'm from uh, okay, Vancouver. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you don't claim that. Or like if you're from Kitsilano, you say you're from Kitsilano. Yeah, if you're from point. the West End... <laughs> You say you're from the West End, which is like ridiculous. So it's like, where do I have to be born or grow up to say I'm from Vancouver on like on Camby and Pender, you know, like, so it's like, um, I just don't feel that. And it feels like there's a lack of that. And I feel like, I feel like we could get a whole, whole lot more done if there was some cohesiveness in that. I don't know. Maybe you can speak to it a little bit with, you said you had a great relationship with the juice truck. Those guys are awesome over there in your space, in the health and wellness space, the supplement space. Um, like I, I don't see another body energy club. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but is there like a collective community around that? Are you guys actively working together or are you guys isolated? And if so, who, who are the players there? No, our, our, our philosophy from the get go, even when we had our one store on, uh, on Davie street was that if our competitor was doing well, that meant that the industry was doing well, right. which meant that we were going to do well. Um, that's kind of the way that we viewed that. And even though, while in some sense the juice truck is a competitor to us, they're also a partner um, uh, on on an in actual fact on a business sense, um, but also as far as like championing the industry and health and all of that kind yeah. of stuff. So um, that's always been our perspective for the most part. It right. hasn't been uh, oh someone else is doing the same thing as us. Let's mm-hmm. take them out at the knees mm-hmm. uh, kind of mentality, which I think is is short sighted. I think if you start focusing on on um, others in within in that negative sense, instead of just focusing on yourself and what you do and and where you want to be, I think it's a detriment to yourself to to mm-hmm. not do that. So, hmm. yeah, we've taken a similar approach here with the podcast and with self hired as well. Is like there's a bunch of really cool people doing a bunch of stuff that's isolated, and they're kind of just in their own little microcosm. Let's just find a way to champion them, not necessarily to bring them together. Like that would be great. But I mean, like, let's just champion them, you know, like um, with you here with, you know, all of our guests is just like, holy shit, you're doing cool stuff. Like this is so awesome. Nobody knows about it. And the city isn't behind you in a way that I feel that they should be. And, and I felt a lot of that. Like, for instance, like you have a um, uh, Seth Rogen, for instance, right? No one knew about Seth Rogen when Seth Rogen was doing, you know, open mics. You yeah. Know? No, no one knew about that. It's a bit of a Canadian thing, though, don't you think, in general? Absolutely. Like, right? like there's that whole uh, uh, thing where people have to become successful in the States for us to Canadians crown them. Really kind of get behind them. And right? it's like, so. you know, oh my gosh, a great parallel there. It's like, when do, so when did you open in, uh, you're in West Hollywood, right? Uh, we're in Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood? And Vine, and uh, okay. West Hollywood. So we would open Hollywood. Sorry, I'm I'm terrible with uh, chronology. Uh, four <laughs> years ago, and sure. then West Hollywood would be. So my daughter's about to turn three. It would have been West Hollywood. We opened two and a half years ago. When do you think? So. Like, okay, okay. So let's just take that, put it to the side. When do you think Body Energy Club got cool in Vancouver? 
Because if you didn't know, you're really cool right now. Oh, <laughs> well, that's well. Thank you. That's a weird thing to think about. Um, I have I have no idea. Like, when did you really feel the wind at your back in the community? Um, I think it would be after our third location. When was that? So we opened uh, a Robson Street store in 2000 and, uh, 2010. Mm. Uh, and honestly, it was um, more of a strategic move than anything. It, we were sort of uh, uh, trying to mark our territory downtown more sure. than anything. And, and it seemed like a, a viable location. And it sort of, we had one on each side of town was kind of the plan at the time. And uh, that actually became our busiest location. Nice. Completely un you know, without, uh, planning and forethought of that actually being of that actually happening. And still to this day, it's our busiest location. Wow. Really though. So I think once we opened that third location and we realized, Hey, uh, I think we realized we really had something going Mm -hmm. for us. Um, but I don't know, it's a weird thing to, my business partners, I will still talk to this day. And it seems weird that we have as many locations as we do. There's a little bit of uh, imposter syndrome, I think, that comes along with that, right? Where um, we don't we don't sort of see ourselves as being like, "Wow, look how successful we are," which I think is good because mm-hmm. there's still a little bit. Of, fear is incredibly motivating. Yes, when it comes to uh, you know making ends meet and getting by and, and being a success, so that's I think still har- having a little bit of that um, is another reason why we're 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 doing well. Uh, we have not become complacent in any in any way, shape, or form. You guys are very so. much very much attacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does not feel like you guys are playing defense at all. No. Yeah. It would be it would be nice to be able to rest <laughs> at some point <laughs> with a tear in his eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? Truthfully, like I feel uh, I feel selfish having that conversation because my business partner is actually works like twenty times more than any human that I know. Wow. So he's really kind of the the driving force behind uh behind body energy and and you know, he's a couple of years older than me. I was twenty three when we started. He's twenty six and uh he's been a, a big brother, a family member, uh, uh a great role model. Mm. Um and someone that I've I've kind of looked up to and been able to lean on and um for for better or for worse. And we've had a really good working relationship. Like it, it's funny. You probably do this at, at work as well too. I, I and lots of people do where you, you talk and spend more time with a colleague yeah. than you do your own, your own wife. Right. Like it's kind of a, a, a running joke. So it's funny how, how things work out like, yeah, that. your work wife, your, your work it, husband. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, and there's been ups and downs along that, that road as well too. So so I'm really curious. 17 years is a long time. 17 years is a very long time. Right. So a very long time. There's a million directions I want to go off of that, but let's do this because we're in a, we're in a analogous situation here. And I think a lot of people that listen to this are, we're like, you're not a solo entrepreneur anymore. You've got a small team and you know, you're, you're riding with that small team and you're like, Hey, here we go. Let's attack. Let's go. Um, let's do this. And whether that's two people, whether that's six people, whether that's 10 people, you're still kind of in that growth in that building phase or whatever. I'm just really interested if we could just transport time a little bit and maybe you could reflect a little bit on who was in that early team in those, you know, 2004 to 2000 or 2002 to 2004 or five, who was really in there and how did you guys interact? I'm really curious to see what was the successful formula there. Yeah. So, uh, so Dom and Phil had opened the, the, 
Dom had opened the store originally and he was working with Phil and they literally needed someone to come in. I started unpacking boxes 20 hours a week. I was the only employee. Wow. Um, and if we had a shipment come in, then we, I worked. If we didn't have a shipment, then I was down at Kits playing beach volleyball. <laughs> and that was the first summer that I, that I lived here, not really knowing, um, not really knowing what it was going to, to turn into. There was no master plan at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's tricky to sort of rewind to that, but that was literally the reality of, uh, of where we were at the time. And I think first and foremost, and, and this would be if I had any sort of like light wisdom, which I don't really consider it much, <laughs> but what we had was a common, um, a common passion for the industry. So uh, we loved what we did. We loved the industry. Um, and, and that was the thing in common that, uh, that kind of, uh, gave us the passion and drive to do what we do and to, and to, to build and to, to do the long hours that, uh, that, you know, three people in the store, those guys were opening at 10 AM and closing at 10 PM, uh, seven days a week, right. uh, you know, five years in a row before those I saw either of them take a vacation really. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be able to to be committed to that and really love, love what you do. Like, so I have two kids now. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, um, even though they're very young, you sort of like try to future cast about, you know, what conversations are you going to have with them at these certain like, uh, milestones that you hit. And I think that is probably one of the big takeaways for myself that I would, uh, I would pass down to them and go, look, what would you want to do with your life that you'd be willing to do for free? And then if you make money at it, within reason, of course, obviously I want them to, to be safe and be able to, but, but ultimately if you can wrap your life around something like that, mm-hmm. that is the direction that you should go. Because I've seen way too many people who went to school for X, Y, and Z do it for two years, dreading going to work, sitting. I've heard stories about people sitting in the, in the parking lot in their car talking themselves into opening their car door and going into their, their day job going, I got a wife, I got kids, I got a mortgage, I got to do this. Okay, here we go. Let me go put in my nine hours and then come home. Like that's not a life. Right. Um, so that's kind of where we were was we were doing something that, that we loved and, and, um, then we kind of concocted this idea to do uh, the smoothie bar and, and that was a hit. Um, and then we went from there. So if, if for instance, year one, I'm just going to make up a scenario here, like year one, you're going to a family Christmas, you see your uncle you haven't seen in a while and they say, Hey dude, like, what are you doing over there at Body Energy Club? Like you guys are like, you know, you're, you're working all the time. Like you're unpacking boxes. I see you, you're tired, but you're amped up at the same time. Like what, what are you guys doing over there? How are you interacting with that situation at that time? Like what was your relationship with those long hours, the un, the just how unsure it was that there was a future, the just the the scarcity of it all, money wasn't flowing, you know, like these things. How are you interacting with that situation? Well, survival. Yeah, I mean, you're you're living downtown. You're young. You're living downtown Vancouver, and you're trying to, which even at the time was still one of the most expensive places to live. Right. Um, I remember when I first moved here. I moved in with my my sister. And uh, she was on the fence whether you get a one bedroom or a two bedroom. Are you coming or are you not coming? I was like, oh, I'll come. And my, my parents were like, well, you know, like what's, what's real estate like out there? If you two are going to rent a place, maybe we can figure out how to buy a place. And I distinctly remember telling my mom and dad, 
mom, dad, there's no way you're not going to believe it. Like a studio apartment is $90,000. It's crazy. You know, today yeah. it's like 500, 600 grand for the same, same kind of place. Right. Yeah. So survival, uh, was, was key for us as far as interacting with sort of the, the day to day and then hope optimism, having fun, yeah. creating stuff. I mean, if you think about what we were doing, there's no playbook and there, you don't go to school for coming up with, uh, smoothie recipes and, and, uh, you know, we were, we were literally just, that was a creative outlet for us as well too. So there, there's a lot of moving parts on that, that we sort of, uh, enjoyed and, and was fun and, and we saw light at the end of the tunnel. I guess we just didn't realize the tunnel was going to be this long. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the tunnel's very long. Did you have those discussions like, hey, what if we end up doing this for 30 years? Uh, no, no. But truthfully, we never even wanted two locations. It took us forever to open up our second store. Mm. Um, we were very content with, uh, with one location. And then an opportunity came up that... We were more concerned about a. Com there was a store that was going to be closing, and we were, or was for sale and could potentially close. And we were more concerned about a competitor buying it and taking it over and turning it to something. So we uh, we hummed and hawed for the longest time, and then uh, the risk of a competitor opening, um, where there was an opportunity for us to swoop in, was really kind of the motivating factor. And that's how we went from one to two locations. Okay. So I definitely want to go back to the multiple location thing because there's a really cool conversation happening there um, just from a business perspective. But what was the um, internal narrative you were having uh, with yourself at that young age? You know, like uh, you're very well thought out. You're a dynamic, creative thinker now, um, you know, that probably can see into the future quite well and forecast things out. Uh, in your, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'd be willing to bet. Okay. I'd, be, I'd be willing to bet. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you can be humble, but I can't be humble for you, man. Like, <laughs> um, and so there's a lot of uh, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. Just, just so you know. Of course there was. <laughs> and like, I'm sure there's a lot of failures within all of that for sure. But it's like, what was the, what story were you playing in your own head at that time to convince you to go down this route? What were you saying to yourself? Um, man. It's hard to remember. I mean, I think for the large part, it was, uh, there was, a, again, it was, there was an opportunity. Um, growth is natural in any, in any industry and, and competition is a highly motivating thing as well too. Right. So, um, where would we be had we not done that? And we let a, uh, a competitor take it, that mm -hmm. location, mm -hmm. you know, there could be 11 of those, um, uh, our competitors locations in town in, in, instead of us. And a lot of it had to do with customer feedback as well, too. We would get asked all the time by customers, when are we going to open up another spot? Oh, you should open up here. Oh, you should open up there. And for the longest time, our mindset was there's, so we would have had two staff at, at that point. Um, a lot of it was, well, two locations, um, twice as much work and kind of the same amount of money. Cause you got to hire someone to, to fill in the hours when, when you can't be there. Right. So yeah. that, that it was, um, it took us a while to sort of wrap our heads around, around making that, uh, decision to, to do the second location. And mm -hmm. then once I think we got our feet wet in that, the third was a little easier. The fourth became a little easier. We have six new locations on the go right now. So I think 
once we uh, once we got that that bug and, and the confidence, I think, right. um, in order to do that. So is Body Energy Club unlimitedly scalable? Like how how big? What's the end game? Like I know we've talked about this. Like um, <laughs> we don't we don't define our goal our end game what's a win like what is a win because you i can look at you right now and say no dude you should like just call the day yeah. just call the day like you're super successful you've built something that's truly vancouver's own like if you would have just said hey dude you're gonna be here in 15 years 17 years you'd be like yeah i'd probably i'm just gonna call it a day at that because that sounds amazing yeah and now a, here you are so what's an your interesting end? question right um i don't know does a win revolve around the business i i I would say that uh, it's been it's very cool to be part of something that has become um, synonymous with Vancouver, um, become as popular as it is, as in your words, uh, cool. Uh, <laughs> even though it doesn't uh, feel like that most days, but um, I don't know. I think that maybe thirty-year-old Rick might have had a different answer. Yeah, I think forty-year-old. Um, uh, Rick would view a win and through a very different lens and it would have more to do with like, um, personal life and, and, uh, I like, I'm in a very different mindset right now, having a, a three-year-old and a, and an eight month old, right. Mm -hmm. Um, they've, they've kind of become more of sort of a, a mental focus with regards to wins in life. Uh, yeah. What was a win at 30? Uh, it would have been global domination in our course. in our industry. Yeah, I think. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent. Mm. But uh, yeah, I don't think that there's been there hasn't been a master plan with regards to uh, an end game and 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 what's a win. We sort of are we're strategically um, planning five years. Um, and that end game has any number of, uh, uh, possibilities right now mm -hmm. that we're actively, um, working through. Okay. So, so bring me five years out. Well, look, it, as with any business, so you could look at any brand, um, other than ourselves, we could go the route of, uh, venture capital. And all of a sudden we're, uh, across the country as a standalone retail model. Um, we could, uh, expand corporately on our own, which would take a lot longer, but that's kind of what we're doing right now. Um, we could, uh, be bought out, you know, any company that's out there that kind of, uh, you know, attracts a certain amount of attention and somebody comes in and somebody's like, Hey, here, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, everything has a price. Right. Mm -hmm. So at, we're just open to all possibilities and, and we always have been, there's no, there's no master plan, um, with regards to like a definitive, mm -hmm. this is the direction that they're going. This is what we want. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're still in the trenches very much with regards to the, the day to day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and honestly, like we love what we do. The, the other, the other element of that is, is that, you know, at the age that we're at, do I want to go work for somebody else? Not really. Nope. Like, you <laughs> Especially know, not you. Uh, I've, yeah. I've, I've done that. My, my business partners have done that. It's ultimately not who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, so unless we were to have, uh, another channel to take our, our 
creativity and our drive to sort of be our own bosses and to do our own thing, um, we're pretty content where we are mm-hmm. do, doing what we do, right? Like, like honestly, it's very, uh, I'm, I'm realizing it's rare and rare that you, for people who have had the opportunity and, and good fortune to be able to create a living um, and do what you love, work with people that you choose, um, all of those kind of things. So um, we're, we're kind of content content where we are, and that has not been lost on us, that mm-hmm. um, privilege. You're very grounded. Try to be, mm-hmm. yeah. Who's Body Energy Club's North Star? Like, who is there a company out there? Because I'm trying to equate, like, if you're any sportswear company, you're like, I want to be like Nike. I want to be like Adidas. Who does Body Energy Club mm-hmm. try to emulate and say, that's really cool. We should take some aspects of what they're doing. Or that's a direction I, we want to go. I would go. say no one in particular. And I think that's only because we don't necessarily fall into a traditional category. Really We're don't. not a clothing store where you could look around at other clothing stores and kind of go, oh, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, we have so many different uh, touch points within our own model that there's a little bit here and a little bit there and and you you see people doing kind of cool and new stuff and you're kind of like, oh, I, I sort of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been interesting to see that we're like that for other people. 100%. Um, we see a lot of people sort of looking at us and kind of doing what we do, which is the ultimate form of uh, both flattery and frustration <laughs> <laughs> at times. But, uh, um, you know, we don't let stuff like that get to us for the, for the most part. So, yeah, I, 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 listen, we talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, man. A lot of people, that's, that's, I want to be like body energy club. You know, I want to know, I want to get, I want to figure out what juice they were drinking, you know? Yeah. And, and that's a, a really a lot of what this is, is like trying to figure out what juice you were drinking. And you're over here like, Hey, listen, man, that was a fruit that existed one period in time. And you're not going to be able to get that juice anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like a very special thing. Well, yeah. And, and truthfully, like it's, um, you know, at the end of the day, I guess if we look at it, this we're in retail, so we get, we get asked all the time, Hey, uh, you know, I want to open up a location or, or, or what did you guys do? And, and, and I would say that, um, as with any business, there's a lot of elements to it that look sexy from the outside. And then once you get behind the curtain and you realize, Hey, some things are a job like anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, breaking down boxes is a job. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a ton of hard work that goes, goes into creating that, uh, sexy veneer that, that people come in and are like, Oh, this is neat. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and truthfully, I don't, I, I definitely, uh, my business partner, Dom, without a doubt, he's, uh, he's a rare commodity, the amount of time and work and energy that he puts into the brand and the company and his heart and soul, um, into it. Uh, there's, I think it's a rarer thing than people realize, um, to be able to, um, make something your life mm-hmm. and, and really kind of, and look, there's a, there's an element of being able to punch in and punch out and uh, your evenings and weekends are, are yours and you don't have to think about um, your job or, hey, the 15th of the month is coming. Am I going to be able to cover payroll? Like you're in charge of people's lives. We have 175 employees right now. So those are real stresses that a lot of people don't see in any, not just our business, but any business. Um, when you come into a store and you buy some stuff, those are the things that we kind of, uh, you know, the, the worries and and life stresses that, that we sort of keep us up at night. 
mm-hmm. for the most part. What makes your business partner Dom so unique? When, how did you identify that? I swear him? he has that gene where you kind of like need four hours of sleep or whatever He's that thing that. is. I don't know. Yeah, whatever that. And maybe that's made up, a yeah. made up gene, yeah. but yeah. he's yeah. got that. that yeah. And, and, uh, and, um, and I think there's probably an unusual amount of people that are able to, to work at that, that pace, um, that he does. And, and yeah, he's, uh, he just loves what he does that much and is just a, a true workaholic yeah. for, for better or for worse. So mm-hmm. for better it's or an for identity, worse, yeah. right? Like, look, our, our, for him in particular and for us as a um us as a company having having built it up started from from scratch and and it's not a job it, it really is kind of like who you become and um and it's it's an identity more than more than anything mm-hmm. the only just taking two steps back there I, I listen i couldn't agree more it's it's it is who you are you know 100 percent. i think of self-fired that's who kevin is you know and and there's a there's beauty for there's a lot of beauty in that. I've I've thought a lot of I've put a lot of time just kind of marinating and, and meditating on that. And it's like I'm still torn. I don't have the answer of like like I'm me. Like I, I am 100 percent me. I'm not a business. I'm not a thing that I do. I'm not a basketball player. I'm not a businessman. I'm not a podcaster. I'm not a whatever. You know, like I'm me, and I'm a culmination of all those things. And I don't necessarily want to be any one of those things. But I also want to put my heart and soul into all of them. And if I don't want to put my heart and soul into it, I'm not doing it. Yeah, which is, I would think, well, I got a question for you. How much of that is a byproduct of sort of social media? I I think it's an interesting sort of world that we're in right now where everybody is a brand and everyone is an identity and that becomes who uh, a person is. Mm -hmm. That didn't exist when, when we started our company or it's a recent phenomenon and I don't have the, the the master answer to that question, but it is a different way of viewing the world, right? So totally. what, what you're, I, I, I think your sort of thoughts and feelings on that are, are very contemporary and, and far more common than, than you would think, right? I mean, being an Instagram. Whatever. Yeah. Is a, that's a profession now. Yeah. That's like, pretty, but that's the other thing too, is like, I would never want to be that. Because that then, frankly, that platform owns my audience and owns my life. So there's that. Um, but it's but like, I guess point being is that you can be, being yourself is a commodity now. Yeah. Where uh, I, I struggle to see 20 years ago when we were thinking of a business, like that wasn't a, that wasn't a thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You had to create something and surround yourself with something whether thing. it be yeah like a, a, a commodity you had to create or yeah the commodity in and of itself it wasn't the individual whereas now whereas now it's the individual yeah i couldn't agree more i never thought of that at all not yeah. in the slightest because i'm i'm so because i'm like well okay uh if that business goes down i don't want my identity to be to be completely unravel in that it's the same thing like in a relationship like yeah listen love your girlfriend love your love your your significant other but that significant significant other shouldn't become you you know like where it's just like oh it's not it's not john it's john and jane you're like yeah yeah. hold up motherfucker it's john you know or whatever it may be right that's a good uh, that's a good exercise for everyone to have to go through though i think everybody does that at one point in their life right right where you kind of like get lost in someone else and then you yeah you uh you get together, you break up, you get together, you break up. <laughs> no, this time is for real. Yeah, yeah. And then you realize, wait a minute, I don't know who I am. Yeah. And then uh, you sort of go on that, that, 
quest. There's yeah. certain milestones like that in life that I think um, ultimately create, uh, make you a better person. Right. Right. Having those experiences. Yeah, totally, man. I think <laughs> there's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. Like I, 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 I like to look at things and go, okay, that's the way to do it. That's the way not to do it, you know, yeah. and build systems around that. Like that's really a failing proposition. I saw my, uh, my mom and dad got divorced when my dad was 65. He was wow. like three months away from retirement and, uh, in very dramatic fashion, which I won't get into, but okay. anyway, it was, uh, but what I realized at the time was that was the first time my dad had been through a breakup. Wow. So, uh, so imagine that, like, remember your, uh, first high school breakup and how you were <laughs> devastated and crushed <laughs> and like that emo- emotional roller coaster that you went on and how shattered you were. Yeah. Okay. Now imagine you're looking up at a parent who's 65 and you're watching them go through all of those same like emotions and feelings. And I remember going, Oh, this is like, he's never experienced this before. Yeah. Something that you think was a rite of passage when you were in high school or college or whenever that sort of like tumultuous time in your life was, uh, you realize that that isn't, um, that's not set in stone when somebody has that experience or any other for that matter, for him to go through that at 65 and, and, and kind of like have all of those sort of high schoolish, what I would call, yeah. uh, high schoolish, uh, feelings and all that kind of thing, you know? calling yeah. me up. How's your mother doing? You know, it's like you're calling your, your best. Oh, did you see Stacy? Did, did you was, go to Stacy at the party? Did you like, go to the movie? What yeah, did she watch? Yeah. What she, was she two seats away? Was she one seat away? Did, did he have his arm around her? I don't know. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so yeah, that was a, that was a bizarre, bizarre experience, but that model applies to a lot of different things in right. life. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I hear what, I hear what you're saying for sure. I think yeah, I don't have the answer. And now I'm, I'm fucked up in my thought even more because you're like, well, your way of thinking young Joss is actually probably just a, a product of your, your generation, your time. And it's kind of like, it's weird though. Eh? Yeah. Cause like you're, you're significantly younger than me. Um, if you sort of look at the window that, uh, my generation is where I still haven't looked up the term for this, but we're that kind of weird bridge gap between the bottom of gen X and then millennials. Yeah. So I sort of, um, uh, I think Steve Rio actually is the first time I ever heard the phrase, but, uh, I'll accredit him for it where we're sort of the last generation to be half digital and half analog. Right. So we grew up, you know, pre-internet, but we were there at a really important time in your life. Like when I got my first email account in my first year of college. So I had a Hotmail account in like 96, I think it was, right? And that was a crazy thing. But point being, we're sort of like um, on either side of that, uh, Mm -hmm. at that gap. You went a lot of your life without without an email account. 100%. I remember the very, very well, like the world pre-internet. And it it, it switched at an important time in your life. I think obviously there's people older than me that experienced that same thing. But it it was well after this uh, significant uh, developmental stage in life, you know, that sort of, uh, mid to late high school, early college kind of part of your life that, um, ultimately impacts, you know, there's a significant impact on the rest of your life, right? It's everything. Oh my gosh. You know, if you, if you were 40 at that period of time, it, it, you know, it doesn't have as, as dramatic of an impact as it did for us. Um, Mm. which affords me by happenstance, I think an ability to kind of see, the world through both lenses. So to 
as much as I would look up to somebody that's uh, older than me and, and look for, for advice on this, that, and the other, um, I, I sort of really try to pay attention to all of my, this, you know, staff or people around me who are significantly younger than me and to see how they view the world and mm-hmm. what's important to them. And, and, you know, what are the, the new up and coming trends and all of that kind of stuff. I just think they have a lot more to offer than, um, I don't think my generation was viewed like that. Mm-hmm. I think that we sort of, the paradigm at the time was that we had to grow up, work hard, uh, uh, nose to the grindstone and and fit that nine to five kind of model and template that was set by their parents, that was set by their parents post-World War II and, and so on and so forth, right? Um, whereas now that uh, that model for the most part has been completely shattered. Mm-hmm. Like, look, even this, you know, doing, doing, doing a, a podcast out of your, out of your, apartment or house or a, a full-on studio that's a that's a viable option you can you can create your own path much more much more readily which i think is exciting mm-hmm. terrifying and exciting which is a great place to uh to be when you can't tell the difference between the two that's when yeah that's where that's where growth happens for sure i mean listen yeah. there's there's almost zero marginal cost of a actually it is zero marginal cost if you have a phone you can have a podcast on yeah 100 like it's very easy there's hosting platforms and recording platforms and you'll be fine just go i mean to do a couple steps up and get this far yeah there's a little bit of marginal cost there and that's going to cost you a little bit it's really not that hard Right. It's going to take a couple thousand or whatever it is, and, and, and you're on your way. It doesn't take that much, um, which creates a generation of creators, for sure, a generation of people like me. They're like, I want to do everything. Well, yeah. There's far more creative outlets now than there ever, than there ever was ever before. were. Yeah, which is fantastic. <laughs> but I think a big, we're yeah, all that's ben- amazing. We're all the beneficiaries of that, without a doubt. Yeah, I'd, yeah, we are, but I think... Like you're going to come at it from a different perspective. I'm coming at it like you're coming at it from a perspective of you have a duality in thinking of like, I can think in analog. I can think in digital. I can't think in analog. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I had an email address when I was like eight. You know, I, 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 most kids have internet and like iPads and stuff from like birth, it seems like. So right? I got a question for you. Is this a foreign concept then? Because I've been, uh, I was thinking about this the other day where, um, we owned growing up and I, this is, I sound like an old man, but we owned movies like DVDs and CDs. And there was a physical tangible thing there that, um, uh, you had, and there was a connection to it where if I wanted to listen to a a CD, I would, or watch a movie, I would go over, I'd physically grab that copy. I'd put it in the, the DVD player and then we'd watch it and you'd probably watch any number of movies that you owned a thousand times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which was great. But for the most part, ownership has kind of gone out. Yep. <clears throat> Netflix models in, yep. which is great. Uh, you spend most of your time probably scrolling for what to watch rather than actually watching okay. something. But there's a, the convenience is there. You don't have all of the stuff that you used to have. So there's that element of it, um, which I, I love that idea. But I also wonder um, is there a lack of connection there because you don't have that tangible thing that like, Oh, this is my, you know, my copy of this album that and it I, means something it, to me. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a connection to that physical tangible good. And, and again, I've only been, I've literally been thinking about this like over the weekend, yeah. but, uh, cause it came up in, in conversation. Um, 
uh, with my wife and I were driving okay. and, and I own my car and she leases hers. Ooh. Okay. Oh, so, uh, so my Hot car topic. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, just uh, like my car, I got a nickname for it. I call it battle cat. Right. It's a He-Man reference from back in the day. <laughs> uh, and I, I was joking with her and I'm like, Oh, do you got a name name for your car? And she's like, no, she's like, cause it doesn't really feel like mine. Cause she's leasing it's it. Not. And I was like, Oh, it's really interesting. You're right. This doesn't feel like our car. Cause it's not our car. Yeah. And that's what kind of sent me down this rabbit hole of, of ownership versus the, the leasing or membership model or, because there's pros and cons on either side, right? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and having that connection, like with with my vehicle, is is fun and silly and and um, expensive. Ultimately, <laughs> yeah, expensive. For All sure. of those kind of things. But I think that that does that sort of framework apply um, to the world in another sense. Well, whereas if there's no ownership of anything, um, there does that then forego any sort of like. Uh, uh, connection, responsibility, um, uh, you know, like, is there an element to that that's, uh, detrimental? Lots of thoughts on that. I think, yeah, from my perspective, like I, uh, I still, like, I didn't have internet until I was like eight or nine or so like that. Like I just grew up in a place that was far away. So that's the only reason why I didn't. Um, but to your point, how you talk about it as if it's like running water. Yeah. I didn't have internet until I was eight. (laughs) Yeah, so funny right? I did. I mean, and then when I did have internet, I only had cold water because yeah. it was dial-up. I didn't have hot water, like high speed, you know, anyways, whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, in terms of what you're saying, because we're moving from ownership to access, right? We're, we're And we're moving now on to, um, to networks and these types of things. Everything's collective. Everything's collective. Um, I would contrast and say that your car having the name Battle Axe is about Battle Cat. Battle Cat. Battle Cat. My bad. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, Battle Cat is that ultimately is fulfillment. That's ultimately what it does. It adds fulfillment to your life. A some level of like, yeah, this is mine, and and I'm going to take care of it. I have ownership and responsibility over this, you know, collection of material, and that in some way fulfills you, right? And so I think if we if we contrast that with what's going on in in the millennial generation where no one no one owns anything we don't own a car we don't own movies we don't own music when's the last time i bought a cd whatever it may be and everything is moving that way we'd agree um i think in that sense we also that generation also has a huge depression and anxiety um thing and as much as that's to do with social networks and all that i also think a huge part of that is exactly what you're talking about is that no one owns anything so no one feels any attachment to anything now let me just digress and say that your truck has your car what do you drive uh mazda cx7 let's go i like it i like it t4 engine (laughs) um that's a that's a four-cylinder turbo there we go like super lame no idea (laughs) um you know you have a certain level of attachment to that there's meaning on that like just right there how you just went in like well okay yeah listen it's a mazda but it's xyz p and q um there's meaning on that so as humans we like so the lack of meaning does the, tie into the sort the, of the, the lack framework of and the models that are that are kind of being rammed down our. Absolutely, our throat, right? we assign meaning. 
Things is that, don't. Is that, is that also go with? Uh, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. But does it also go with sort of the rebirth of the record store? Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I think it's rebirth of the record store. I think it's going to be <clears throat> rebirth of the coffee shop. I think it's going to be re- rebirth of the barber shop. Like and those are a little bit different, but it's all around community, culture, ownership. Right. Yeah. I have this. This means so much. That's why retro is coming in. That's why people actually want to buy a tape player. So I think we assign meaning to things. If we have no ownership, we can't assign meaning to anything. Life literally becomes meaningless. Yeah. And I know that's those are distant concepts, but I do think there's a connection there that are, that's interlooped, and I think it leads to a lot of anxiety and depression, man. Like honestly, and that's why I think another thing to tie all these conversations in is that entrepreneurship is growing <clears> so much. It's like, well, I don't own anything. Can I own a business? Like, what's something I can create and build? Because again, even relationships, we're driven have, driven by purpose. Driven by purpose. Like, we don't have the same uh, relationships we used to have. Where, dude, I want a date. I can, I can get six dates tonight on Bumble. I can get it popping real quick. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean the same thing. Sex doesn't mean the same thing as it used to. So intimacy is undervalued now. No one is addressing the human need of intimacy the way that we once were. So again, those are just business opportunities. All I'm saying is that all of these things, much to do with ownership. And connection and fulfillment and purpose and meaning are all lacking. Are kind of been lost. They're like gone. I miss the and I don't. Have you, did you go into a video store? Were they all gone yeah. by the time? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I went to some <clears> blockbusters, <throat> man, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So when my wife and I were talking about uh, this with the guys, I was like, I miss the ceremony of of like, what do you want to do tonight? Oh, let's go rent a movie. And you'd yeah. like, we'd go walk to the video store. You'd kind of look at all the shelves and kind of pull it out. And it, at the time, it seemed like a. Sometimes it could seem like an inconvenience. Yeah. Uh, but now there's no, that the, the ceremony of that has kind of been lost. And truthfully, I kind of, I kind of miss it yeah. for the most part. Cause now again, you can just kind of scroll endlessly and, and look at these titles and it doesn't really, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That, that element of, uh, of life is, is kind of gone. It's kind of gone. And the other thing about that interaction that you have with that product is that like, there's an experience of walking in a store. There's an experience of interaction with the people that are at that store. If like, are you guys on DoorDash or like Foodora or anything Foodora. like that? So yeah. like the same thing. If I go to Body Energy Club, I'm getting way more out of it than if I just get it by Foodora. Yeah. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And that's why your business is so successful. Because I, I don't want to like, it, yes, it's easier. And the marginal cost is almost nothing for me to just get it to my door. But I actually want to go there and be in that are environment. Are hearkening to yesteryear? What? I said, are we hearkening to yesteryear? Like, ah, when I was a kid, things oh. were so much better. <laughs> like, well, I don't, we, we, we might be, but literally when I was a kid, this is how it was. So in a sense, we're not. I'm just trying to observe think, human behavior. I think what we, I think uh, identifying that as something that's lacking though and seeing if there's a creative way to, uh, to, to incorporate it into a, a business model and ultimately monetize it. Hell yeah. um, is where clearly there's opportunity and not nefariously, although I'm sure that that will ultimately happen. Yep. But I think that um, capitalizing on that sort of need that we've identified. Um, so a need for connection and community in a sense. Yeah. Which are, yeah. again, we want to talk about differentiators community is everything. And, and I'm sure you guys are talking about it internally. I know all these other businesses are talking about it. How are you gonna? How do? How does Body Energy go about creating community and creating connections with its users and consumers? Uh, well, we're very proactive on that front. So we reach out to any and all of the boutique fitness around us. Uh, we have strategic partners in the city that we work with, whether it's our uh, our meals that we co-pack and come up with recipes for, or our bottled juices with the juice truck. Awesome. Um, 
we collaborate with them. Um, the collaborations are, are always fun. We're doing a, a new one here coming up with uh, a local vegan food company, uh, cool. Aaron Ireland. We're working with on something that's going to be awesome. Cool. Um, so, so that's uh, how we create community, but with our, within our own ecosystem, our rewards programs, uh, you know, almost gamifying the customer experience is, uh, has been completely key to, to customer retention is mm-hmm. what really what we're talking Lifetime about. Lifetime value, yeah. Yeah. And you, and you, you know, if you, if we're not reinventing that customer at the end of the day, there's a bunch of stuff that we sell that people can get somewhere else and online, you have to be creative and create that loyalty and that, that user experience. Otherwise you're going to go the way of the dodo bird, right? <laughs> go the way of the dodo bird. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's an old, uh, an old reference. <laughs> yeah, Dodo bird's a bird that used to exist kids and it doesn't anymore. Um, when you, so I think that's the key to unlocking a collective identity here in Vancouver. That's what yeah, I think interesting. it is. Yeah. Um, think being the keyword I, I don't know um i just have a, a suspicion that that's kind of the way to go what do you guys look for when you're looking at uh other businesses like a fitness club a cycle club or i'm I don't know, i'm just making things up uh what, what do you look for in those organizations and those people that you're like yeah, i don't know we want to like what did you look what did you see in juice truck i can look at juice truck and you can look at juice truck and i can look at zach and be like that's awesome but we're coming from that at different angles. What's the angle that you look for when coming at it from a community perspective? Uh, well, uh, keep in mind, I cold called them out of the blue. I didn't, no way. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know them. Um, so this is going back probably six years ago. That is awesome. We had our own uh, our own juicing kitchen and we did everything ourselves. Um, came up with the recipes, had our own staff and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't our core business. So we sort of entertaining the idea on, okay, um, how could we potentially outsource this? So we had a couple conversations with a couple different, um, people that were, um, fundamentally disappointing, um, with regards Whoa. to, yeah, just the, the nature of like, okay, you, you get an idea of when you talk to somebody on the phone, what's this relationship going to be like? And, uh, are they forward thinking? Are they like-minded? Are they, do they work as hard as we do? Um, and I think ultimately it was the first couple conversations and the email exchanges that we had with them where I realized, okay, these guys are on the same page as us. Yeah. Um, they have a similar sort of uh, vision, mission. Um, they're passionate about what they do and um, we can work with them slash marry them because really that's what you're that's doing what it is. on any of those collaborations, right? So, um, and and that was a great decision because yeah. it, it allowed us to focus on what it is that we um, do best, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So mm. that was the but that it, was the secret sauce there. Those conversations are still ongoing as well, too. Like we we're constantly reaching out to uh, companies, whether it be uh, manufacturers or other brands and stuff like that. And uh, every now and then, you come across uh, somebody here, kind of like. You know, I thought I wanted to work with those people, but I, I, I just don't think that we click yeah. for, it's no different than dating someone, right? You yeah. kind of like, wow, you know, this just isn't like, you're cool. Yeah. This just isn't working, you yeah. know, even in the, the initial kind of like five minute conversation. Yeah. You go on the date, you're like, ah, I need to leave. So yeah. someone fake call me real this quick. I need to get be, out of here. This is going to be a long one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, really interesting, man. So um, I wanted to switch gears here a little bit because I did want to get your thoughts. Um, you run a supplement company. 
um, at the end of the day, right? I mean, you're a retail supplement company, which is awesome. Uh, there's a lot of snake oil in that industry for sure. Uh, but there's a couple companies that are like really do it right. Um, you guys being one of them. And the only other one that like, I really kind of stand behind is, is on it, which we talked about on an Academy in Austin, Texas, um, how they kind of go, you know, just whether it's just like going into their ingredient lists or whether it's how they communicate the true value of their product or whether it's, you know, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in, in this industry all the time. Right. So, um, how do you, I'm interested two part question. How do you Rick actually think about the human optimization and the supplement industry? And then how does body energy club approach it? Cause you clearly have done it right, but I don't know how. Uh, well, I think, I think in Canada in general, we're very fortunate. Uh, any products that are sold in our industry have to go through what's called the natural product. Um, they have to have an NPN natural product number, uh, which means they need to be licensed by health Canada, which means they have to have human clinical trials in order to prove that they actually do anything, mm-hmm. um, which has helped mitigate any of that sort of, uh, snake oil products that, uh, at one point in time, perhaps were were all over the industry in one way, shape, um, or the other. Um, also, just the fact that as a business, we're responsible for so many, you know, we're responsible for our brand, we're responsible for, I'm responsible for my own family, but ultimately like our employees and our employees' lives. So it's really important to us to not um, misrepresent anything or get involved with anything that's sort of uh, maybe untoward in, in the, like a product that used to be sort of you know, gray in the market or anything like that. It's a risk versus reward. And for us, it's just not, it's just not worth it. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So on the other side of that, I think it's an exciting time in the industry when you see brands like, uh, on it or Vega or any of those companies sort of reinventing or inventing new categories. Super cool. Um, and, and looking at it more from, okay, sure. This product is good for you in one sense as an individual, Um, how does it help with regards to the performance side? How does this help with regards to the environmental side? Um, there's all of these different kind of touch points that brands are now having to look at in order to differentiate themselves. And again, it's the consumer and and the the market actually, um, benefits from all of that simultaneously. It's a win, win, win situation. Yeah. 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 It's funny how, if you go back to your morals, you go back to what you think is true. It's often a win, win, win. Yeah. Like if you actually, if you're thinking long-term or if you're, you're just thinking on anything that isn't tomorrow and you, you really go with what you believe is right. I just noticing it ends up being a win-win-win. It's yeah. like it's like telling someone the truth. Yeah. Do you look fat in that dress? Well, a little bit, a little bit. Maybe <laughs> you don't wear it out. She puts another dress on. She looks amazing. You have an amazing night. You're like, hey, look at that. I don't know. Not not analogous at all. No. Um, but you know, in the sense of like, listen, you be straight up with your customers. Um, you go with the brand that, or you go with the uh, products that maybe cost more or whatever it may be, or the products or the, the ingredients that are truly um, what they're saying they're going to be. You build brand loyalty over the, over the long term. Yeah. You build that customer base over the long term. And I don't care. I don't have to worry about, like if, if, you're, if you're co-signing someone, I don't have to go back. I don't have to look at it. I'm at the store, look at the brand name. Hmm, okay, this seems legit. Let me Google it. I go on Reddit, da, 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 da. I don't have to do all that work. Because consumers do that work. I do that work. Yeah. I'm like, mm, maybe. But if I go into this spot, I already have the trust. I've already developed the trust. It's cool. I don't have to worry about it. It's less effort. It's less energy. And it's just easier for me to get to the till, yeah. frankly. Well, like I said, we worry about it, right? You that, so, Exactly. Exactly. Like, uh, I, 
again, you know, if, if someone was to, if, if there was a product or a brand that wasn't, um, that wasn't representative of, of what we're going to do, we have more to risk than, than anyone, than anyone else. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so we do as much, um, due diligence, but again, in Canada, we're very fortunate that, that health Canada kind of, uh, helps regulate all of that so that the end user is ultimately protected. Right. Um, what about yourself, man? How do you, how do you think about human optimization? How do you think about supplements? What have you tried? Uh, what are, what are you, uh, currently working with? What is your, what's your head around that? Oof, well, I'm spoiled, right? Right. So, of course. Yeah. Uh, um, where do you want to start? Um, listen, let's, I'm, I'm into, I'll, let's go into the whole thing. We'll start another hour right now. Quick. Yeah. <laughs> so the mushroom category is something that really, uh, okay. is exciting in the industry. I'm um, huge fan of uh, of lion's mane yeah. and of, uh, of cordyceps would be the two kind of uh, ones that are sort of uh, leading the way. Started with reishi though; that'd be the first one that actually came out. Okay, so um, with so, regards to its uh, immune boosting properties, and let's start let's start with lion's mane a little bit. Like, what what is that? Why why do I care? Uh, so lion's mane and. Keep in mind, um, if you want to get an expert on to talk about Amen. like the six thousand products that so, we sell. So, 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 Rick, you're you're. <laughs> oh, and we will, we will. By the way, um, the podcast space licensed to be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Licensed okay. to be wrong. <clears throat> I cannot be held against anything I say. <laughs> so, broad strokes would be Lines Main's ultimately sure. champion for uh, for cognitive function. Cool. I think there's uh, there's some evidence to show that it helps with uh, neurogenesis. Um, yeah. Uh, I know that uh, guys like Paul Stamets are, are delving into the benefits of it being used for help with dementia, Alzheimer's, all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's really popular in the, the stores right now. Um, I think even Onnit uh, uses that as, yep. as well, too. So um, I'm not super familiar with their product selection sure. uh, anymore, but... Um, uh, cordyceps is another really good one as well too. Okay. Um, I'm more of an endurance athlete now, so I kind of tend to focus on products that have benefits for that. Beetroot powder mm. is another, Ooh, uh, beetroot powder. Well okay. Too. Yeah. Helps. Uh, it's a vasodilator, but it helps without, um, so dilates your vascular system. Got it. Think Viagra. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. But, but for your whole body. Cool. <clears throat> Increases blood flow, but it does it without, um, uh, um, oxygen uptake from the bloodstream. Ooh. So it's particularly good for endurance athletes in I that see, sense. So anyone who's doing cycling, running, uh, any of those things, beet root powder is a, a great addition to, uh, to their repertoire of, <laughs> of products. But then there's your basics. Like, look, if you come in the store and we're like, Hey, you know what? I just want to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you going to take? You're going to take a solid multivitamin. Mm. Um, depend, and it doesn't matter what, or if you're on a paleo, vegan, any sort of diet, these yeah. are kind of fundamental core products. Uh, omega-3, omega-6, yeah. um, either in, there's some really good vegan ones coming out with uh, algae, an algae-based um, uh, omega or uh, fish oil is obviously the most yeah. popular. Uh, your green supplements that are are wildly popular as well too, mm-hmm. um, and then probiotics would be the next category that's really really taken off. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear people like Dr. Rhonda Patrick talk about it on on Rogan's podcast and stuff yeah, like that, who know own. far more than I do yeah. about it. But it's fascinating to be part of an industry where you hear all of this. Uh, you know the the new science about the gut brain connection, so which cool. is like so cool in mm-hmm. the sense that you think. Um, you're a lot more autonomous with regards to the decisions that you make 
uh, for your diet when really ultimately you're far less in control of that than you think you are yeah. uh, with your gut biome kind of driving your food cravings and what it is that you want. So the importance of that healthy gut biome is, um, ev- is everything. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I know it's like we're because there's there's neural connections in the gut the same way there's neural connections in the brain like there's the, the you know, that's a uh what's it called uh uh go with your gut yeah go with your gut it's like yeah duh yeah. of course go with your gut yeah um, the simple the simplest way like it, it obviously gets super complicated far more complicated than i'm qualified to speak to but it's as simple as if you start eating salad yeah within like a couple days what you find is you start craving salad Duh. If you start eating, you know, whatever you start, well, why is that? Uh, the, the bacteria in your gut that would feed on that proliferate because yeah. they have an adequate food source for it. Therefore they kind of tell you, Hey, you know, the last time you had that, we really enjoyed that. Let me have more <laughs> of that. Um, which happens subconsciously hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Like this is not something that, uh, is that you are in control of and, in any way, shape, or, yeah. or form. From yeah. the outset, you kind of need to sort of make those decisions ultimately. But uh, um, yeah, that's a fascinating. So cool, that's a monumental man. shift in our industry in the yeah. last what, like five years? I would say that, that totally. that's really kind of um, taken off. Uh, all of the major brands have come out with a, a variety of of different pro- probiotics and prebiotics geared around this new science. Yeah, that's. Uh, that's coming out. So. Where are some of the resources you'd point people towards as it pertains to, uh, you know, gut health, nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. Who are you listening to in that space? Yeah. So probably the most popular people that are out there. So mushroom category is obviously dominated by Paul Stamets, who's mm-hmm. a, a fascinating human in and of himself. Um, and a, a true expert in the field. Uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick on the probiotic front would be, uh, would be probably the leader on that, that category. Um, and ultimately brands are doing a really good job at sort of, um, supplying that information, not just to us, but to their, uh, their direct to their customers as well too. Right. Yeah. Education's huge. Yeah. I mean, ultimately the, the, the library of information has undergone a a monumental shift with regards to providing resources to anyone and everyone. Right. Yeah, totally. I think you guys do a good job of that. I think, uh, like you have that new, uh, stretch, stretch body lab. Yeah. Tell me about uh, that. So you guys are, there's a couple of directions you're going in the supplement space and in the, in the, in the smoothie space and working with the juice truck and the, in the juice space. What's this new stretch body lab? Cause that seems like new territory. It is, it is new territory. So right. it started as a bit of a pet project for me. So, okay. uh, um, I'd sort of seen this style of stretching, uh, elsewhere and, and, um, when we, I had the space in the Gastown store, didn't really know what I was going to do with it. We were thinking maybe opening up a naturopathic clinic or some sort of other synergy. And, uh, ultimately this, uh, this strain counter strain, uh, uh, model, um, for stretching seemed like something that, uh, at first I was kind of like, well, who's going to pay to get stretched. But then I was like, wait a minute. I, can't stand stretching. I can't stand yoga. I can't stand any of that stuff. Yeah. Like I really struggle with it. And I think most, and here's the reason why, uh, as an endurance athlete, I'm already training five days a week. Yeah. Uh, if anything, if I'm going to go do a yoga class, ultimately the class that I need to do is called the yin class. It's where you kind of sit down and do static stretching and you hold the poses for three up to five minutes. Uh, for any sort of given, uh, yoga studio, those classes tend to be a bit of an afterthought. 
And the last thing I need to do is go do like a power yoga class because I've already done a three hour bike ride or legs at the gym or something along those lines. So there was sort of a mental shift for me where I was kind of like, yeah, the only thing better for me than stretching is have someone else do it for me, <laughs> which, <laughs> which has been, uh, which has been great, completely new model for, for, uh, for me to get into. Um, cause it's more of a studio concept than, than anything, um, uh, than, than it is retail. So, so, um, so strain, counter strain, counter strain, tell me P- about it. PNF stretching is what it is. You just went right over my head. Yeah. So it's basically resistance stretching. So, okay. Um, so we'll get you into a stretch pose. You'll, uh, resist, um, the practitioner for, uh, for five seconds, upwards of 10 seconds. And then, uh, we'll, you'll relax and then we'll, we'll dig a little deeper and we'll push yeah. a little further. Ultimately what it does is, um, it helps reprogram your brain to know that it's safe for your body to stretch further. Oh, okay. Um, it's, uh, it's stretching is actually, it's on, the only scientific form of stretching that actually is proven to really help in any of the things that you think stretching is for, but it has more to do with retraining your brain, mm-hmm. um, that it's safe to push your body past a certain point than you are rather than actually elongating the muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit of a, a, a misconception there about what's actually going on with regards to, um, what your muscles doing. So please baffling en- enlighten, right? enlighten. Like I, so, um, yeah, there's so many misconceptions. Like I was listening to a podcast uh, on um, foam rolling and delayed onset muscle soreness and like the research around foam rolling. Like, yeah, like it feels good and you're moving your, um, uh, your, your fascicle, fascicle? I don't know. Fascicle stretch therapy? What's it called? Josh, what's it called? Fascia. Fascia. Yeah. You're moving your fascia around in certain ways, but like you're not actually, um, you're just alleviating uh, uh, delayed onset muscle soreness, but you're not, it's not actually uh, improving your recovery time or your turnaround time. Um, it just probably just feels good a little bit. It moves the blood. Yeah. Doms is a weird one. They actually don't really know like what it is or how to, how to mitigate it or or any of those things really. Um, I was, uh, I was doing some research on that on, um, and one of the things, one of the, the, there was a a double blind study done on it. And one of the main things was, uh, uh, perceived, uh, pain threshold, which is completely psychological. Yeah. Has nothing to do with a hot bath, yoga, stretching, supplementation, any of those things. If you simply had a higher pain tolerance, um, physiologically or mentally, yeah. then you had uh, a less likelihood of experiencing DOMS, which is bizarre. Crazy, right? Like, I know. And it's like, uh, even things like willpower, for instance, like the science of willpower, like, yeah. oh, you're born with willpower, you're born without willpower is like completely false. Like that's completely false. You train willpower. Yeah. You know, like all these things that are like, we thought they were a certain way or actually completely a different way. Yeah. And I'm sure it happens in the supplement industry as well. You're like, oh shit. It's become a huge part of training. RPE is a, is a huge, uh, um, uh, relative perceived effort is a huge yeah. thing in, uh, in cycling training right. and it's becoming more and more popular, um, for people to kind of train around and to learn what it is and to know, like you're really ultimately training yourself to be uncomfortable for a longer period of period. time. Period. Yeah. Period. 
which so is like, which is which is mind blowing. It's like, oh, I thought I was training the muscle to have more of a capacity, and you're like, well, right. there is some of that, but really, what you're doing is like expanding your pain threshold. There's a company that does um, they hook electrodes up to your muscles and just gets you to do squats or whatever it is. And it's basically you're at a hundred percent capacity. It stimulates the mu- the muscle artificially to go to a hundred percent because you wouldn't uh. go to a hundred percent naturally, right? So they've done tests of like a leg press, for instance. Like, all right, do your max. Okay, now we're going to hook this up to you and your legs are essentially going to shoot up oh and you're going to be able to do 20% awful. more, you know, 30% more. Yeah. And what that does is when you take it off, you can then do 20% more and 30% more because you've told your brain, as you have just illustrated with this stretch, um, you've told your brain that you can do, you can go there. Yeah. You can go there. Now that I've gone there, now that I've expanded the boundaries, you know, now I can push that 20, 30% more. It's a weird world, right? Like you can apply that sort of, uh, that, a mysterious mental component of fitness and then you could shift that to you know the all of the new studies coming out about psychedelics yeah, and, totally. and, and that whole category as well too yeah which is another interesting one that i think in the next probably three to five years could shift towards our industry yeah don't know yeah. um yeah but uh totally. yeah totally man it's um what expanding what's possible just expanding what's possible period um so we'll wrap up here, but I want to ask you've, uh, you've innovated and you're moving with trends, but I also feel there's a big side of you that, um, has some unpopular opinions. What are some of your unpopular opinions? And I'm not, I'm just gonna leave this completely wide open for you because I'm just interested to hear and what's well, your rationale behind them. I have a lot of, uh, very strong, remarkably uninformed opinions. Hey, I'll if, take if it. That's I, license uh, to be wrong. My friend, <laughs> you're, uh, you're referring to, um, geez, I don't know specifically. Sure. Let's uh, dive in. Th- this conversation could go in a million different directions. I know I'm a little bit scared. What's, uh, what's an unpopular opinion Maybe pretend, uh, as it pertains to supplementation, as it pertains to business, as it pertains to uh, optimizing yourself, as it pertains to mental capacity, as it pertains to parenting. Mm. I don't know. Yeah? I don't know. That's a tough one. I mean, look, my world revolves around Gastown, which is the downtown east side. Yeah. So this is far, le- uh, far less um, broad and very geographically specific. So I'll take for, it. For listeners, it it could be completely uninteresting, but... Um, having been in Gastown for two years now, when we opened that location there, I built an office in the background, in the back of the store. Um, one of the things that I found remarkably exciting about that neighborhood was the sense of community that was there. Right, right, right. Um, there's a ton of mom and pop businesses that are there. Uh, all the neighbors kind of knew one another, whether it be in boutique fitness or, or the restaurants that are there or anything along those lines. Um, I was really amazed with the sense of community that Mm. was there. Two years later, uh, that community is still there. However, as a retailer, um, my frustrations with regards to uh, the state of the neighborhood, um, the uh, shoplifting is a huge thing for us, violence in our stores. We've had people pull needles on our staff um, Um. in the store. Um, Theft is a huge one as well, too. Um, and just the the minimal improvement in that neighborhood, and if anything, um, it almost seems to be going backwards over there. Mm. And I I I don't know what the solution is, mm. other than I went to a meeting the other day with uh, there was you know the city was there and and one of the city councilors were there and they presented their thirty year plan mm-hmm. for uh, for the area, which. Um, 
we're five years into, which I said, well, that's great. But in five years, it appears to me as though things have gotten worse in this five-year plan that you've outlined seems to be along the lines of business as usual and nothing's going to change, like consolidating the the problems down there, the the SROs and all of those kind of things and kind of cornering it into that little um, part of town. And I, I don't see any sort of improvement or solution going on mm-hmm. down there. And that's my day-to-day, right? Mm-hmm. Like I walk out into uh, a part of Vancouver that a lot of people don't see on a daily basis. They kind of do a drive-by and you step out into despair for the yeah. most part. Yeah. Um, with very little big thinking, big ideas on how to solve the problem there. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an element of at the local level with regards to the government, the provincial level and the federal level that has to do with more of um, uh, trying to make everybody happy yeah. and not making anybody happy at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And uh, a lack of vision from the city of Vancouver's point of view to kind of go, hey, this isn't a Vancouver problem. This is a Canadian problem. Like um, Vancouver has now become a destination for, um, they've created a honeypot over there basically in my mind is what is what they've created. And people are coming from all over and setting up shop. And that's where, um, all of the, the access points are, um, which is fine, but without 